This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? BFM 89.9. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories and other news tidbits that you may have missed over the past seven days. I think we'll just jump right into the biggest, big, big story of the week, and that's really all to do about banks. Uh, It started last week with Silvergate Bank uh, that closed down on when on Thursday, followed by Silicon Valley Bank. And then just things started to snowball all throughout the weekend, all throughout this week. We're ending the the week with another bank that's kind of in a crisis, and that's Credit Suisse. It's been a wild ride. (laughs) It's been a wild ride. It's an underestimation here. When we first started the conversation in the beginning of the week, we thought, oh, it's an isolated case. It's not going to spread beyond that. And we're going to just Get over, get over this and move on. And then the Fed's just going to hike its interest rates up by 50 basis points and then Bob to uncle, we're all done, right? But clearly that's not happened. It's kind of precipitated and snowballed into this huge contagion. We see now pressure, so much pressure on Credit Suisse. I mean, that's un- unbelievable. We also see some support recently on First Republic Bank in the United States. So really, this is a crisis of confidence. And this is one of the biggest issues that we perhaps need to distinguish ourselves versus the 2008 crisis. We're here not so much of a structural issue, but really here a combination, a confluence of a very high interest rate environment, bad management decisions, I think meeting together, creating this crisis of confidence. I think it's worth uh, just recapping a little bit about why SVB failed. Um, it did announce uh, last week that uh, it had made a 1.8 billion US dollar loss on the sale of securities, including the treasury and mortgage bonds. So what yep. SVB did was it put a lot of money in these um, fixed income assets. Uh, and when the Fed started to raise interest rates, that's when they got into trouble. They weren't able uh, to recoup what they paid for those assets. Uh, so SVB said that it would raise $2 billion US dollars via a share sale to cover that initial $1.8 billion US dollar loss. This is what sparked a panic among depositors. And you saw a lot of big name um, venture capitalists like Peter Thiel, they withdrew all their money yeah. uh, en masse. And uh, that's what essentially caused SVB to collapse. So as you said, interest rates rise will result in drops in bond, bond prices and that's why there's a loss recorded here by SVB, right? Which then creates this whole lack of confidence and then there are these bank runs where people basically draw out money across the board. You see so many stories, right, taking place about depositors trying to take out their money very fast. And that is why I think President Biden and the Fed decided to do a backstop and show that, look, there is all deposits are secured, even those above 250000 the limit. Because initially, uh, the limit of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they would only protect um, amounts up to 250000 But when you're dealing with the bank that has all these uh, tech startups, no yeah. one has just two hundred fifty k in that bank. They're using it to bankroll their entire companies. Uh, so there was really a lot of concern that uh, big that these companies, these tech startups, are going, were going to lose their uh, money. Absolutely. I mean, the concentration also of that portfolio in tech, I think, also made it very hard for SVB to recoup and recover. But 
fine. We kind of understand what happened there. We've diagnosed on a preliminary level where the issues were. But what I think was very surprising is that it just moved to one bank after the other, right? And then we just had conversations yesterday about Credit Suisse. I mean, that is breathtaking, yeah? The need for the Swiss Federal Central Bank to intervene and provide some solution and backstop there. And then just overnight, where the main major US banks trying to put deposits in into first reserve. I think these are the unprecedented moves that perhaps we never anticipated to happen in this time after taking into account all the lessons made in 2008 financial crisis. What was interesting for me is the way that um, the panic started. Yeah. yeah. So in the case of SVB, it stemmed from uh, an announcement made by SVB itself. It was going to raise money uh, to cover the losses in its security sale. Mm. In terms of Credit Suisse, uh, what sparked the panic was a comment made by its largest investor, the Saudi National, National Bank. Bank. Yeah. Uh, they said that, oh, they weren't planning to invest more money in Credit Suisse. They had already maxed it out at 10%. And actually, they had said that, oh, we have complete confidence in the restructuring of Credit Suisse. But that's not what markets heard. Markets just heard that, oh, Credit Suisse has no more options because Saudi National doesn't want to give them any more money. Uh, and that kind of sparked uh, that the that concern. Is, that is classic selective hearing because essentially with Saudi National Bank, they couldn't invest more than the stipulated 10% rate they had. And so I think markets then just took it as a sign that they were not interested or they thought that Credit Suisse was not investable, hence reacted that way. Right. So that is really a function of sentiment here. That's not a structural problem. That's a function of people saying and reading very differently from what's actually being said yeah. and then taking things in their own hands. It's That's what makes financial markets so curious and so fascinating, really, because it is a psychology thing and yeah. how it all interacts to develop into this banking crisis that we're seeing at the moment. I mean, it's the whole question also about the past one year, about how the Fed also has been hiking rates at an unprecedented at pace. an unprecedented rate and if you hear many pundits right saying look actually the fed needs to improve its communications it needs to be able to state clearly that's always been the debate right how central is communication for the fed when you take these unprecedented actions and so this is the repercussion of that i remember listening to a podcast a couple months ago about jerome powell and just the way he was communicating these um, fed interest rate hikes and how he was actually scarred by what happened during the taper tantrum yeah. of uh, the er, of the mid two thousands, um, and and just how financial markets. Uh Imploded, imploded when they started to raise rates. And he was being very careful to not create that same situation. Fair point. And I think what was very interesting perhaps is I was listening to an interview he had with David Rubenstein in which I think with Jerome Powell, he is in a pretty good position because he wasn't a former banker. He was a lawyer yeah, by profession. So being able to get out of that economist speak and perhaps speak in a bit more of a layman term, although I wouldn't say the legal profession is a good place. <laughs> yeah, for they're jargony as well. <laughs> they're pretty, pretty jargony as well. But at least being able to shift away from those classic macroeconomic jargon could have helped the Fed in this situation. Now, the question here is, you know, there's a Fed decision this weekend on Monday. Are we going to see 50 basis? points. That's really, really what everyone is looking at. And it's so interesting how the tables have turned, yeah, because just last week, yeah. we were discussing whether it was going to be a 25 bips or 50 bips. This week, it's, it could be even, are we going to see zero uh, increase yeah. or is it 25 bips? So... 
simply because the basis has changed very fast. If you reflect just a year, a month, a week ago, sorry, not even month yet, so just last week, we were talking about employment job figures really being at an incredible high rate, right? January numbers were super good, nearly hitting 900,000. February also was very good, hitting at 300,000. So then people thought, okay, it's in the bag, 50 basis points. And now fast forward to just under you know 168 hours, we are seeing, oh my goodness, actually, the conversation is going to shift from employment to bank runs. And the bigger question then, in my view, is are we going to enter a hard landing? And I think this is something that we've overlooked because we're discussing about uh, the banking crisis. Uh, there was the weekly jobless claims uh, number that came out uh, overnight. Weekly jobless claims actually dropped uh, to 20,000 to 192,000. So in essence... Um, Labor is still pretty tight, you know, less people are are asking for unemployment claims. So you still have a hot labor market. Which will mean uh, relatively inflation Inflation will still still be still there and it's not going to abate anytime soon. So the Fed is caught, right, in this conundrum. How do you kind of create confidence in the financial system at the same time need to address, you know, this perspective? this spectre of continuing to see high inflation. Now, before we move on from banking, I know we've been talking about it a lot, but it has really dominated headlines. One of the things that I think we could keep watching moving forward is how this banking sector collapse will affect cryptocurrencies. Because all three banks, they're pretty tied up with the uh, crypto sector. You had the first bank that fell, which was um, Signal. Not Signal. Signature. Sig- no, Signature was the second bank second that bank. fell. But before that, Silvergate Capital. Silver. That's right. Silvergate Capital right. also fell before SVB. And then there was the SVB that's really uh, crucial to tech. And then Signature was also very uh, crypto-specific, very niche there. With all these three banks out, the question was, would there be any impact on the crypto sector moving forward? We did speak to fintech expert Varun Mittal. He downplayed any concerns that this would have a major impact on uh, crypto players because he says crypto players have options. They'll just go to another bank. It's fine. No, and, n- nobody's collapsing. And I have to say, I probably agree with him because look, it's still rising, right? If you look at Bitcoin prices, they're still at a record high. And the last time Bitcoin really collapsed was actually in November during the FTX scandal. We're still seeing the repercussions of that because um, I, I'm going to say signal again, but it's not signal. It was um, not signal. <laughs> I also have lost my train of thought there but as well. The, the, yeah. But the first bank that collapsed Uh, It was because of FTX, Mm. because of FTX losses, people started to withdraw. We're still seeing the repercussions of that playing out. Um, So I still think that uh, it's worth watching how this will affect the relationship between uh, crypto players and with traditional financial institutions um, and how those gaps are going to be filled in. Um, It's coming up to 9.46 in the morning. We'll take a quick break, but we'll come back with more discussions on other big stories that have caught our attention this week. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. 9.47 a.m. Thanks for staying tuned to The Morning Run. You're listening to WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. Now, we spent the first half of the show really getting into the banking sector crisis that uh, that we're seeing spill over to other parts of the world. Uh, but uh, let's turn our attention to the bright spot that took place early in the week uh, at the Oscars. That's right. Michelle Yeoh, TSMY, the most famous, I think, most celebrated TSMY here. She has won for Malaysia our first Oscar. And of course, I think many uh, were reflecting, if you see on Instagram, the pictures of the win, actually also of the pictures in Malaysia where there was this huge event 
event where her mother was there and where she also paid tribute to her mom. I think it was a very heartwarming speech uh, in which she basically was saying, look, she is a vision of what the future is possible for all those who look like her. But I actually really liked the point she made and she said, ladies, don't let anybody tell you you're ever past your prime, never give up. It resonates very much with her, I think, because a 60-year-old lady, legend, I think, who's tr- who I think has knocked many doors to try and get into Hollywood and never just gave up. And, you know, as she got older, I think she probably thought it was getting harder and harder for her, but still she didn't give up. And I think this is a really lesson for all of us to just never think about age being just a number. That's right. You're never too old to, you. how to say, the peak, there's always going to be another peak that yes. you can climb to. You know, you can't, nobody can say that um, they're done at a certain time in life. There's always... We're always evolving creatures. Evolve we and Ourselves. And I feel this is such an important mindset to have as we go towards an aging population, um, towards more people that are elderly. And how do we ensure that productivity gains are still there even as people grow older? Yeah. Um, I think it's going to require a lot of that attitude shift. I think we both agree, Shaz, that both of us will continue to be on air till we're 75, isn't it? I think I will just be a, a part-time <laughs> caller. <laughs> a part-time correspondent. Yeah, exactly. You'll okay. call me when you have something you know, okay. interesting that you need me to say. But anyways... In any case, uh, Michelle, you have lots of celebration there. It brought it, it sparked a lot of debate here um, in our local shores as well as to how much we can really, um, I guess, there was discussions on whether we're taking credit for something that Malaysian government policy really had no yeah. uh, involvement in actually forming. Michelle's Yo, Michelle Yo's achievements are entirely her own. It wasn't due to the backing of the Malaysian policy engine, yeah. you know? So I think what was very interesting is if you reflect on her interviews in the past, she always accredited Malaysia's environment for her to flourish and grow because she said she came from an extremely diverse background in in Ipoh where she got to learn and expose herself to different cultures from all walks of life, which allowed her to be very tolerant, accepting, open to all sorts of ideas. And I think it's that ingredient. Perhaps what Malaysia offers to all of us isn't really the exact policy or the money, but it's perhaps the environment that we create, right? The openness of different cultures, different perspectives that come into fore. And that's why when we talk about today about the government thinking about all of these policies about that they kind of dis- dissect religion and race, it is a bit of a contrast to what you hear about Michelle Yeoh's success. Interesting. So many different points to tease out of what you said, Phil. The fact that she credited uh, the diversity of her childhood uh, in- yeah. in- environment as as helping to shape that mindset. I think people are worried that we're losing that then. If she said that she um, uh, sort of used that as a foundation for her growth, you know, are are we, do we still have a similar environment? And I think that's really questionable given the lots of, um, I guess, controversies that have come up in the past week that revolve around issues of race, religion and mm. religion being politicized. I think just over, just yesterday we saw um, what what came to the uh, producers and directors of the Mantega Terbang movie which has caused a stir, uh, the fact that um, their property was damaged and death threats issued to them because people weren't happy with what the, the content of the film had. And this was a film that was uh, released two years ago. So people yeah. are starting to pick up these threads um, later on when initially it wasn't a problem. But because of the climate that it is now, it, it is worrying. 
I mean, what is interesting is this is not the first time, right? Property has been defaced because you don't agree on something. Let's let's all be very honest and upfront about this. This is not the first time we've seen property being defaced. We've talked about Crack House Comedy Club before, uh, so that's not really this is not really groundbreaking in my view. But I think there are other points, right, about things about interfaith dialogues, interreligious conversations taking place, and where people are frowning upon that. People find that actually. Uh, a negative thing, which I think for me is very surprising, right? Because if you're most, if you're, if you're stable and you know where you stand on certain positions, you should then be open to dialogue. I always find that it's when you're insecure that you feel that you need to close up because you need to do more introspection first. But here, if you feel very, very much so that actually you know where you stand on these positions, then why not allow that open conversation? Agreed. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's very. It's counterintuitive to close off uh, the a section of the community to each other. I think I am particularly worried by this whole othering of, of different uh, races and religions in yeah. the country uh, rather than uh, seeking genuine connection and understanding. Um, it baffles me really that to uh, attend an interfaith uh, event is considered um, dangerous to one's own to one's uh, own beliefs. I think it's a function of, I guess, maturity because othering is, for me, one of the biggest challenges we have in this world, and not only in Malaysia. Yeah, it's always an either A or B. Why not both? Right? Why not believe in my religion and also embrace how other other people look at their religion? Why not I, you know, am proud of my race and also accept that other people also have very beautiful races and perspectives as well. Why is it always got to be an option of either this or that? Why can't we do this and that? And I guess it's important also to keep note of the context in which all these controversies are coming up, right? We do have state elections coming up yeah. in June. Um, the politicization of race and religion is a very common trend that comes up anytime elections are around. We've seen that over the years. It's not something new. Um, so I guess keep that in mind when we mm. see a lot of these uh, rather controversial comments come up um, and you know it's important yeah. for us to keep calling that out but also remind everyone that this is especially heated because of the political environment. It's political. I think what is I think very interesting unique to Malaysia perhaps is that race, religion is very much intertwined in the politics. It's part of the political structure, right? Very explicitly as well. Perhaps not as explicit if you see in other countries, right? It's a bit more subtle there. That is why it, it becomes a political hot potato here, right? When you start incorporating race, race and religion because it is very much institutionalized in Malaysia. Although I have to say, if you go all around the world, people are beginning to talk about it substantially, right? that whole element of race and religion as well. If you go to Europe, if you go to America, I think every country has, has, their o has their own, I guess, uh, not to say problems, but has their own challenges or nuances when it comes to these very sensitive issues yeah. um, involving multiple communities. Uh, but yes, I guess this is something that is going to continue percolating um, in our headlines for the next weeks or months. Uh, and I think it's important to see how the government also... Um, uh, how, how the government signals on this, right? Yeah. What, what exactly are they communicating uh, to the Malaysian public on how it views these issues and how it wants to deal with these issues? Uh, yeah, I guess also you talk about the broader frameworks and policies, but then you also hear the specific things, for example, concerts Western by Western performers. They cannot be conducted. Not just Western, foreign. Foreign, foreign, sorry. be from any part of the world. Yes, including K-pop stars, which are your favourite, Shaz. Oh, oh, you outed me. Yes, I Phil. outed you. So essentially, though, they are not allowed to perform 
performed during specific periods, which are deemed to be religious events and holidays. So what does it speak and also say right about that? I personally don't, I guess I don't have to say. I understand why they would want to have those blackout dates, but I think the discussion is what does the impact of expanding the number of blackout dates mean for the industry? Mm. And we had a pretty good conversation with Rizal Kamal of A Life, an organization and events organized an events organizer organization um, who was talking about what the latest guidelines from PUSPAL, what kind of impact that would have on them and how it also um, affects uh, Malaysia's aims to attract tourists. Because if we look at concerts and live events, other cities in the region, Jakarta, Bangkok, Singapore, they're yeah. all capitalizing on the yes. fact that people travel to their cities when these big names come. But if we are going to be left out of it, you know, what reason would they have to come to Malaysia? I mean, I'm sure there are others, but there's no doubt that big names like the Strokes, like the 1975, those are all going to be draws. And we saw Blackpink recently, Billie Eilish recently, A.R. Rahman, all these names, it's imp- it helps tourism it does, it in does. the country for And it opens up greater conversations, openness and conversations beyond our shores about what Malaysian culture is. Giving exposure to our people as well who cannot travel abroad to see these big names, I think it's important to continue having those kinds of presences. Hence, having guidelines that can facilitate them within reason, you know, we... Yeah. we Understanding the sensitivities that everyone has, um, but it cannot just be taken from one side only. Um, so, yeah, I do hope we did see that the Minister of Digital and Communication had a town hall yesterday. Uh, and I think many of the industry players expressed concerns about how they see these guidelines developing. Hopefully we will see some, I guess, uh, actions or, or policy measures to temper those concerns. Let's see that. I think just one more small story I think that's dominated headlines, which I think we didn't say was actually DNB. Uh-huh. Aha. Interesting. Uh, the contract of the current CEO of DNB, Ralph Marshall, has not been extended. It ended actually on March 11th, exactly. which means DNB is on the hunt for its next CEO. Uh, and that raises the questions of, I guess, how that selection process is going to take place. I wonder because there's been a lot of uh, headlights about GLC political appointees. If you reflect Anwar's uh, government prom- promised that they basically do this purge of these political appointees. But what you've seen in the past few days is that he's actually been appointing political uh, apparatchiks, I think, to key GLC heads. So the question here is, is he walking the talk, which is clearly not the case? And who is going to lead DNB then in this process? The lack of transparency in how these appointments are done, I think that is a major issue. Uh, a lot, I feel that people would be assuaged if they understood the rationale, but a lot of times these appointments come and we don't really know why or on what basis these uh, figures were appointed. Um, this is a conversation that's going to continue for sure. Uh, we'll be following this up more on other shows on the morning run 9.59 in the morning we're heading into the 10am news bulletin and then after that we're going to hand over the baton to Enterprise happy weekend everyone BFM 89.9 What's the focus on BFM 89.9 The Business Station You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.